Hey, this is Quincy Ameriqua, and you guys are listening to Soccer Sub Podcast. Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. I'm Banta. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. Now pay me. Pay me in cash, boys. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending the Soccer Subs Podcast, the number one podcast covering soccer in New York City and all over the world. Let's give it up for Ronnie. Let's give it up for Christian. And let's give it up for you, the Soccer yes. Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. Ladies and gentlemen, the show starts in five, four, three, two, one. Let's rock. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 23. My name is Ronnie. I'm your host. Joined here by my three Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian, Hugh, Eric. Fellas, good to be on with you guys. Episode 23. How you guys doing? It feels like forever since we last recorded. Hey, man. A lot of things happens when we're not around. So welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast number 23. The number of MJ, Michael Jordan, of course, David Beckham, Jamie Carragher, the boys of the Champions League. And of course, 23, Arturo Vidal. We have so much to talk about. I'm so excited. I know we have a, a special guest in the studio who is rooting for the same team I do. So I'm very excited for that. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm, like Christian said, I'm glad to be back. 23rd episode. I know I said this last week. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about how we're on episode number 23. And it's it's almost been a year with you guys. So that's been pretty great. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get talking about some stuff and, and talking about what happened. I feel like whenever we don't record, like whenever we, we, we go two weeks for an episode, like everything possible happens so you know we're gonna try to get all of it done but no promises oh man episode 23 there's so much to talk about i don't even think we have enough time but you know we lo- i look forward to it yes sir eric and yes for the soccer fans of course mj number episode 23 we gotta go big for you guys we got a big show for you guys today we're joined by the mls 2020 coach of the year his Philadelphia Union won the Supporters' Shield last season. They had the best record in the league. 14 wins, 5 draws, 4 losses. We are joined by the one and only Coach Jim Curtin. Super excited to have him on later on. Heck of a coach. Look up to him a lot. We put in some work to get him on the show and super excited we made that happen. And also, we got a special guest host joining us today on the studio with us. He's one of my good friends. His name is Sid. You guys know this podcast is by us fans, for the fans. So, uh, Sid, say what's up to the fans. Tell us what teams you support. Tell us why you love soccer. Tell us all everything, man. What's up, guys? I'm super excited to be part of this podcast, number 23. Um, big show um, tonight. We're going to talk about the Super League. We're going to talk about Champions League. And, um, yeah. I'm super excited to be here. I support FC Barcelona since the 90s, man. I love the team. I'm like, I'm like the type of fan who watches the press conferences, who watches the interviews, all that. <laughs> you just became Christian's best friend. <laughs> uh, that's right, Sid. Uh, Christian was looking for a friend. He finally got it. Anyway, bro, glad to have you on with us. Oh, man. And like you said, I feel like you know, since we last recorded two weeks ago, man, we got to talk the craziness, the whole Super League fiasco, which lasted about 48 hours. Uh, you know, 12 teams coming together, trying to form their own tournament. We got to get into Champions League. Our, the first legs are officially over. Real Madrid versus Chelsea, 1-1. PSG versus Man City, a heck of a game. Man City taking that one 2-1 in Paris. We definitely got to get into that. Inter Milan are officially the Serie A champs. Juve's reign is officially over in the Serie A. Eric, I know, is not too happy about that. (laughs) Julian Nagelsmann, he's the new head coach of Bayern, uh, coming all the way from Red Bull Salzburg. And, of course, we got to give a shout-out to Jesse Marsh, new head coach of Red Bull Leipzig. Uh, Yeah, Christian's former Red Bulls. Yeah, yeah, big things coming up for Jesse Marsh. And just a quick shout-out from the MLS side. I mean, my team, NYCFC, with a big win. Funny enough, in Philadelphia against... Coach Curtin, uh, 2-0, heck of a game. And Christian's Red Bulls got their first win versus the Chicago Fire. A couple good we games. We won? Finally. Yeah, you guys got your first win. <laughs> you guys got your first win. <laughs> so much to get into. But all right, fellas, we got to get into the whole Super League fiasco. This happened about two weeks ago where 12 teams try to get together, 
This is all spearheaded and formed by apparently Florentino Perez. We obviously see the good sides and the bad sides, but we got to get into it. Eric, if you don't mind, I'll go start with you first on just kind of your thoughts on what do you think about the whole craziness, good or bad? Let us know your thoughts, man. Oh, man. I mean, I don't, I don't think I can say enough in words. I mean, personally, listen, I, I don't like the idea of it. I see the positives. You know, you always have these big teams every matchup every weekend or whenever they were going to play. You see all these massive games, you know, so supporters, they're going to love this type of games. You know, obviously, COVID hasn't done a favor to these clubs either. So, you know, those finances would have definitely helped, you know, move big budget transfers to each of these clubs. But in another day, you know, I, I hated the notion and the idea of it only because, you know, when I think of soccer, you think of a sport where, yes, there's these big clubs that are always going to do amazing throughout the league. But there's always that fairy tale story. There's always that Leicester. There's always that Ajax with the Champions League run that they had. You know, Leo this season, that's about to, you know, win league on if they can keep up with the consistency. These type of clubs, we won't be seeing like things like that with the European Super League. You know, personally, you know, I've said it before. I think this tournament would have worked out as a, you know, as a summer type of tournament, you know, you know, outside of Champions League, outside of um, the regular domestic leagues, just make it, a, uh, you know, a summer tournament when there's no international um, tournaments being played. You know, I think fans would have definitely loved something like that. The whole fact that it happened like during midseason towards the end of the season, I, I didn't like that either. And I mean, if there's one thing I got out of it, it's just like how much pull and influence Florentino Perez has, because like he was just such a driving force behind this. And uh Look, this 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 was crazy, but I mean, again, I'm personally against it. Um, we'll see where it goes moving forward. All right, Hugh, our, our resident Real Madrid fan. I mean, this is spearheaded by Florentino Perez. Got to get your thoughts on it as well. I'm not a hundred percent sure where I lie on it. I think you know, I probably would put it on a on a negative stance. I probably wouldn't say I I love the idea of it. And it's funny because the only reason I actually think that is because the players already play enough games, right? You know, adding in a whole extra competition for me is a little unfair to them. Like, sure, they get paid tons of money, but like their jobs are really, really difficult to hold on to. Right. You know, you tear a hamstring because you're overworked for a couple of weeks and you don't recover well. You know, sure, you could be making like thirty five million dollars a year for for two years. But then, you know, by the end of that, you're going to be making, you know, what a normal person makes for the rest of your life, but you've already spent half your money from soccer on, you know, like that. So it's tough for me to support it because I think it's just, I don't think it's fair on the players. That said, I think a lot of people's opposition to it is for me, at least is kind of hilarious. Like, Oh no, it's an invite only league. There's no merit to it. Like the thing about that, that I just find funny. If you go back in the history books, when the champions league started in the fifties, it was invite only. The only way you could get into the Champions League in, in the 50s was by invite, right? What it, who started the Champions League? A group of very wealthy investors backed by this sort of dream idea from a journalist. They started a new league. They invited the most prestigious clubs in Europe. They didn't invite the best clubs in Europe. They invited the clubs that had the most history and they knew would bring up the bo- most matches against each other. Now, it turned out that those happened to be the best clubs in Europe at the time. But the way that they decided who was coming was based off of, you know, like, Real Madrid is the best team in Spain in the 50s, right? You know, Marseille was the best team in uh, France in the 50s, right? So they invited all the teams to play the Champions League. Perez never said, you know, oh, it's only these teams. You know, we're never going to expand the league, you know. He never said that. In fact, he was very clear about making sure that other teams, A, get invited and B, can qualify. So I think the idea that, you know, that's the unfair thing, I I just don't buy it. And then the whole financial thing I also find kind of funny. Because it's like, well, oh, you know, they're going to be giving rich teams more money and they're going to spend all this money and they're going to get players and it's going to be unfair. Like, hello, that's already happening. Like Chelsea's owned by one of the world's richest men. They buy players all they want. Last time I checked, they're not contending for the Premier League title, right? Real Madrid has all the money in the world. It doesn't mean that they're guaranteed success. You have to know how to spend that money, but it's happening outside of a super league. Anyway, it would just be more of the same than what's happening right now. Right. And people complain, you know, Oh, the, well, the big clubs are going to steal from, you know, the fans of soccer. That's what UEFA and FIFA have been doing for the past, you know, 30 years now. So it's sort of funny how, and, and I think this is all UEFA UEFA is doing 
the Super League was branded as like a greedy, money grab, terrible thing against the fans by an organization that has been doing the exact same thing, but just hasn't gotten as bad press about it because they are the monopoly in world soccer. So, you know, my only objection is that I don't think it's fair on the players. And I think when it's not fair for the players, the players, you know, like everyone says, you know, football is nothing without fans. Right. But it's even less without players. So if you can't have players who can play for long periods of time, can make a career for themselves, you know, no one likes to watch teams that cycle players over and over and over again. You want players who can play day in and day out. Fans like the players. They buy the jersey. That's how you build the uh, club. If those players aren't satisfied, then there's no fans. Then there's no football. But if it's not fair, so if it's not fair to the players, I can't support it. But every other reason that's been brought up against it, I think is, I think is just is, is ridiculous because none of it is unique to any of the situations that's happening right now. Our boy said, uh, I'll throw it to you real quick. I know you were on your side pro uh, Super League, so let us know your thoughts on it. Yeah, man, I was very excited for the first couple of days. You know, obviously all the backlash that came after. Um, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on what Hugh mentioned. He brought up good points, you know, um, who are we backing? Are we, you know, we got like this whole populist rhetoric against the greedy owners. Who was pushing that? You know, was it UEFA? Was it the fans? We got to ask those questions. Um, We got to ask, is the current system great? You know, you got to understand that, like, I love, I love um, European soccer, but these guys go to training camp in July, August. Then FIFA fixture after they play like two games, FIFA comes in. And then in, in October and then in November. And then you, you mentioned, Hugh, all of these games that are being played in the leagues. But what about all these extra games that FIFA are, and UEFA are creating, like the Nations League? Who gives a crap about that? You know, it's all of these games where Lewandowski got hurt against Andorra. Is it really... You know, do fans really want the best of the best competition in the Champions League? Do they want to see, you know, Bayern's best player get hurt in a meaningless game? We got to ask ourselves these questions. You know, making a league where you're, where you would have seen competitive matches week in and week out, you know, would have been great for the sport. You know, better stadiums, more money to spread around the leagues. I don't really buy into that, that, you know, the, the premiership was going to go down. The leagues were going to go down. Look at, look at the French league. Nobody cares about the French league. It's always PSG winning. You know, they, Neymar doesn't play hard every week. He only waits until him and Mbappe wait until February. Their season is only two months long. You know, I, I just have so many things against UEFA and FIFA, right? Um, that we're going, we as fans, if we want the best of the best, you know, we're going to have to do um, do something about it, right? Yep, that's my little take on it. Uh, thanks, Sid and Christian. I'll let you have one of the last ones. I just, I just really yeah. wanted to add something like very yeah. quick. Yeah, just like adding on to that, like, I, I look, I, I get the positives in it. Like, believe me, I do. I would love to see all these box office games at the end of the week, but who determines the best, in my opinion? You have Juventus, who are who have just had a terrible season getting invited to that. AC Milan, who have not seen UCL in years. You have Spurs, which are just a, the most mediocre English team in the Premier League at the moment. You have Arsenal, who are currently, what, seventh place? Who, who's deciding who to invite these clubs, you know? You have, they talk about history. City has no history prior to the early 2000s. No, the late 2000s, 2010s. Again, Spurs, no history there at all. AC Milan haven't been to UCL. It's like, I think that was one of the problems with, like, the sports fans in general. Like, why are you inviting some of the teams who, at the moment, in my opinion, don't show these star caliber? You know, if you're going to invite someone, invite Leicester, who are just doing phenomenal this season. Atalanta are currently, I believe, second or third place. You know, what about those teams? That's just me, though. Sorry. No, no, no. That's a great take because there's the financial aspect and then there's the sporting aspect, right? And uh, how do we analyze all these legendary clubs? I mean, I think, you know, everyone's forget, forgetting the number one team in, in, in Belgium. You know, you have legendary clubs there like Hank. You know, I, I do think that we have to take everything into perspective. There are good things and there are bad things. You can't just erase history. I definitely respect that. But at the same time, let's be honest. Okay, all of us here, 
what are the games that we usually just focus on? You know, we usually just talk about Real Madrid, Barcelona, maybe Manchester City, Manchester United, and that's it. We forget. We when have we mentioned, uh, like you said, Lille or or Nice from from the French league? We talk about Bundesliga. Maybe we talk about we just talked about Dortmund and Bayern Munich, and those are the things that we have to consider. I'm going to take it back to the first episode. When Fernando Fiore said, well, who's, uh, who's going to win the league? And then, then he said, listen, listen, you have the usual suspects. And that was like PSG, Bayern Munich, Barcelona. You know, at the end of the day, those are the quality games. And I think I give Sebastian North uh, from Campfire Football. He really put a, a, in a great perspective. Are we going to watch the small team against Real Madrid? Maybe just because of Real Madrid but we're not watching it for the little ones. And I think we have to be honest, you know, that's what we care. Look what we care now, right? That's, that's basically what, what we're focusing on. Uh, but I do have to think like the merit wise, yeah, like Arsenal should not deserve a spot for the Super League, <laughs> at least not in the next two, three years until they get back to fourth place that they usually play. I do respect that uh, a lot of fans came out. Uh, we protested. There are some greedy people in football who are not good owners and definitely need to get out of those seats uh, immediately. Uh, they're just people with money or people that want money, but I'm not sure if they care about football a lot. Um, so, you know, everything has to be taken in perspective. There's nothing much to say. This lasted 48 hours. Uh, maybe there's a better plan in the next 15 years. <laughs> And uh, we see if there's, a, if there's a better structure for it. Yeah, Christian, 100%, just piggybacking off of all you guys. As a soccer fan, like all of us, like I really do believe the Super League does have positives. As a soccer fan, who doesn't want to see more quality games on TV? 100% I do. You know, just looking at the matchups, like looking at like teams that normally wouldn't play each other, like an AC Milan versus a Chelsea, a Juve versus a Man City. Being guaranteed a game, one leg or two legs of, of those types of games a year would be amazing because these are teams that don't play each other for like two, three, four, four years, you know? So I, I do get that. I do get also like, you know, what, what Hugh said on like, it's not, I don't know if it's really too much fair to the players in regards to, you know, extra fixtures. I know like for club, he's always saying that like, you know, we barely get any rest. I think that's, you know, for the top teams, like, you know, and these are all threats for, for, uh, for players as well. The one part I believe where, where Florentino lost me and he said it straight up was that he was creating this league because the clubs are in need of money. And that's where he lost me right there. I mean, of course, we all talk about the passion. We all talk about, oh, we want to see great games. But he was very vocal, very straightforward in saying, we need money. We need money. This is for money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying it's a bad idea because just like my boy Sid said, there are positives. I would love to see more of these matchups. Like, like Christian said, you know, yeah, we definitely focus on FC Barcelona. We talk, we've, we focus on Real Madrid, the Manchesters, but um Something tells me we haven't seen the end of Florentino Perez, though. He did say uh, you can't just back out of the, the Super League. So this is going to be an up and coming uh, more to come type of type of topic. So we'll circle back in the next couple episodes to see, uh, you know, the return of Florentino on, on this one. He's the godfather of soccer. <laughs> like, he, you know, if, if he was doing this for the money, which which he definitely was. You know, he created the Galacticos program. So, you know, if it puts money in his pocket, I'm fine with it. 100%. Um, and if, yeah, fellas, just kind of quickly going over into Champions League. I know we definitely got to get into some Champions League action. The first legs were officially held last week. Real Madrid versus Chelsea, 1-1. That was a heck of a game. And PSG, Man City. Eric, I'll let you go first on Real Madrid, Chelsea. Just some quick takes on, on, that, on that first leg and your predictions for the second leg. Without a doubt, this season, Real Madrid's player of the year is Benzema. This guy has just been so crucial. He just, he shows up when he has to. Listen, is he? he's just phenomenal. Now, Chelsea, look, I said it a couple episodes ago. Thomas Tuchel, he's doing something right because he has his team playing phenomenal. He's sorted out the defensive back problems. He has the team attacking the way he has. He's adaptable. He's a great tactician. That's what they were missing with Lampard. They were missing a coach that has great tactics and is a good, uh, you know, player manager. And they have it in Tuchel. Um, you know, obviously, I wanted a win from Madrid, but, um, you know, we're just going to have to go to London and, you know, Just pull out our cards on the table, you know. Madrid, um, they they haven't been um, they're not new to uh to a situation like this where they're um, you know, definitely the in my opinion they're the underdogs because you know obviously Chelsea have that away goal they can just simply park the bus as they're experts in to be honest, but um hey 
Madrid won't won't back down. You know, hopefully we have players like Mendy back. Hopefully we have players like Ramos back, and we'll see what happens. Uh, let me throw it over to our special guest host, uh, our boy Sid. Uh, Sid, let me know what you thought of that first leg and your predictions for for that second leg back in London. You know, um, Real Madrid has something in their DNA that where they do really well in this tournament. I'm not counting them out. It wasn't a good result for them on um, that draw, but um, I expect them to go out there to London and give it give it their best. And it's gonna be a good uh, it's gonna be a good um, second leg for sure. Uh, Hugh, our resident Real Madrid fan, go ahead, man. Yeah, I think it could have gone a lot worse for us, right? So the first couple of minutes, the first 30 minutes for us absolutely sucked. We were not ready for them. They came out of the gates really fast. We just did not. The one guy who really put in a shift the entire game, Eder Militao, who's, by the way, been putting in an incredible job for the team for the past couple of weeks. He's really sort of earned his spot in the starting lineup, but we'll see if that's still a starting spot come Wednesday. You know, he played well, but we just did not have a good opening start to that game. You know, then it sort of died out the rest of the game. I mean, Kareem's goal was was good. But, you know, I said this in the when we talked about the Clásico, you know, that goal was like the working before it was fine. It wasn't great. Right. The finish was what was really good about that goal. So, you know, one one's not terrible. The good thing for us is that, you know, Chelsea can't score any more away goals. And every goal that we can score is an away goal. So, you know, we've sort of got to look at it that way where neither team, I don't think, is going to try to... Like, I don't think Chelsea was thinking about trying to play for a draw on the second leg. I think they want to get goals on the second leg. But I think, you know, now we have to. And I don't think we're going to try to win it 1-0. I think we're going to try to win it, you know, 2-1, 3-1, you know, 4-1. We're going we're gonna to try to do everything we can. So, look, it's, it's not a bad result. It's just not a good result either. So I'm sort of indifferent on it, but I think we definitely can win in London. And Sergio Ramos is back. So that's a big help to us, even though Ferla Mendy is not. So we'll see how it goes. I think we have a chance. In fact, I think we have more than a chance, but you never know. Oh, well, hold on. I mean, you really have to think about it because Chelsea looked like they were the home team. They were playing so confident. They shut down uh, Vinicius, pretty much the wings. Uh, that's one of uh, Real Madrid's forte. So to be able to contain that, uh, that goes with what you said, Eric. Uh, what a, a, an amazing tactician uh, Thomas Tuchel is because Chelsea was so organized defensively and offensively. You can see that when Madrid tried to high pressure them, their ability to do that one touch football was just phenomenal from one side to another. And I was thinking, it's like, you know, Aspiliqueta is such an experienced guy. And, uh, you know, but he's, 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 he's a little bit of age, you know, and uh, that wasn't a problem because they're so good technical. Both of them, both teams were really great. But you can see who was in control of the game. And for me, it was it, it was Chelsea. I had Real Madrid going through. I think I'm double, I'm doubting that right now. And it's sad because I wanted to see uh, Zidane uh, Pep Guardiola final. But I think, on at least from what I saw from the first game, uh, Chelsea has all the resources to win this game um, and go on to the final. Yeah, for me, I am definitely nervous to go back to London. Uh, I'm looking at the stats. I mean, Chelsea had more shots on target, five five shots to Real Madrid's one shot on target. Possession was right around even, 51 to 49. We keep saying it every episode. Thomas Tuchel is onto something. And uh, just like Christian said, Chelsea looked strong as an away team. So I can't even imagine them hyping up, just putting more pressure, putting more, putting more pressure on this game uh, for this week coming up and them being the home side. So, oh man, this is going to be a heck of a game. And yeah, fellas, let's get into the second leg. I mean, the second game, uh, which was the better one out of the two PSG Man City. What a game. Uh, Man City taking that one 2-1 in Paris. Our boy, Eric, I'll start that one off with you again, man. What you thought of that game and, and, and predictions for this upcoming week? Listen, um, I'm hoping for PSG to win because I simply just don't want a City-Chelsea final. I just I, I don't want English teams in the final. It's just a, a boring FA Cup final at this point, you know? But um, no, listen, if PSG don't come out on top of this leg, the whole Neymar transfer, the whole Mbappe transfer has been a failure. Uh, Neymar is hitting 30 next year. Um, you know, what have you been up to since you left Barcelona? You know, winning league on is not to the standard of the, the type of caliber player you are. Look, PSG, I honestly, I wasn't surprised that they lost. I mean, 
listen, they haven't been doing so hot domestically either. You know, you have Lille on top who, if you look at their wage budgets, you know, it's incredible that Lille doing so good. You know, props to Lille, but come on, PSG, you got to get something in order there. Secondly, I mean, obviously, City, you know, two good goals. Well, not even good. You know, PSG blunders, you know, that wall on the free, on Mata's free kick. Uh, what, what are you doing there? You're looking like Juventus when they, you know, try to save free kicks. But listen, you know, it was oil versus oil at the end of the day. You know, I, re- I respect both clubs. I, I hope PSG win, but I, listen, I see City coming out on top. Pochettino is out of his depth at this point. You know, he's very one-dimensional. You saw it clearly in both halves. You know, I was going to say Tottenham since he was coaching them before, but no. In the in the first leg, I'm, first half, PSG were playing better. Transition to the second half, Guardiola adapted as he's a fantastic coach. He adapted and he played better in the second half and they came out with the win. Our boy said PSG versus Man City and your predictions for this upcoming week, man. You know, going into going into this match, I thought that um, PSG had the upper hand just because, and I love Pep Guardiola, but it, he's a different coach in in the EPL and then in the Champions League. He's a lot more cautious. They don't really look um, as good as you know whenever they play fearless, and you know. You could see it against Dortmund. You saw it in the first um, in the first leg. It's just they played differently. But no, he proved me wrong. They he adjusted in the second half, and it looks like they're gonna go through. I think. You know, I I think you know. Obviously, PSG is a different team with Neymar. Whenever Barcelona played them on the second leg, they they seem like a vulgar team, man. Not not so much. But with Neymar, he's just he's a whiz with the ball, and um, he's just so good. He he totally changed that team around, changes that team around, and um, he creates for them. And yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one in Manchester. But I obviously see Guardiola um, moving to the final. Said just a quick follow up. How would you feel about seeing a Man City Chelsea final Champions League? Do you agree with Eric, or do you feel like you definitely would see would like to see Real or PSG in the in the final? I mean, I would never want Real Madrid to advance to a final. I agree that it'd be a, a, you know, I wouldn't like it so much, right? But definitely Tuchel versus Guardiola is, is, is what I'm calling. All right. I mean, Eric, Eric's got the, the final as the battle of the balls from the last episode. So we'll see how that goes. Our boy Hugh, go ahead, man. Predictions for this week and, and your thoughts real quick. Uh, so I think PSG played really well in the first like start of the first half, like everyone said, you know, and they sort of fell apart. They weren't bad attacking wise, but you know, it, it says something about your attack or at least maybe it says something about city's defense when PSG's only goal came from a header from a center back from a, from a set play. So yeah, they weren't doing tons on the attacking front and city was doing a lot on the attacking front. The thing for me, at least for the upcoming leg is like everyone's mentioned, it's Neymar sort of really under the pressure in this second leg. And the one issue I have with Neymar, he's an amazing, amazing player. But when he gets frustrated, he turns into a very, very ineffective player, right? Like, so, you know, when he's ticking fine and and playing his position, playing the ball well, he's an amazing, amazing player. But when he gets frustrated, he draws himself to the ball all the time. And then what he tries to do is create space because he doesn't feel like he's been getting enough space. But the issue is he just draws defenders and either A, slows the play down, or B, gives up the ball, which is never good. But it's even worse when you know you need to get a quick goal. So I think what he really has to, to make sure he's doing is staying calm and staying as calm as possible for as long as possible in the first half of the city game to try to get a goal. Because if he starts losing his temper in like the 30th minute, you know, it's going to be a long night for PSG because they're not going to get a single goal and, you know, they're going to be losing possession and Kimpembe is going to get tired, right? Marquinhos is going to get tired. Florenzi, whoever they're going to be playing at, at, at left back, you know, they're going to get tired. Danilo's going to get tired. And you can't have your entire defensive unit be, you know, sleeping by the second half. But that's what you're going to get if, if, if they run out of patience. So I think, look, PSG have the ability to move on to the final. But they, it's really a mental game for them. Because they can beat City, no doubt. 
I mean, they did beat City in the first 30 minutes, but then they lost the mental game for the rest of the game. And that's what really threw them. So they need to, I mean, they need Quincy America on their team, right? But like they can, if, if they dig their nails in first 30 minutes and really get something going, I think they have a chance. Well, first of all, I got to say that our boy Sid looks like Ilkay Gundogan. So props to uh, him because he's already <laughs> the good luck charm for Man City. Uh, no, I, I got, we got to say, well, we got to take a look at this, right? And I think both managers did a pretty good job trying to prepare for the game. I know, Eric, you talk about adaptability, but what can Pochettino do in those two goals? Uh, those are kind of uh, defensive mistakes. Uh, Keylor Navas, we praised you the two weeks before, and that was a costly mistake. And then I'm sorry, Hugh, because I think, uh, you know, you can go, you can say maybe it wasn't a goalie mistake, but yeah, you have to be ready for those balls. Uh, second of all, you gotta, you, you know, PSG made it difficult for, for Manchester City. They were having troubles trying to penetrate that line, that defensive line, until that uh, Kevin De Bruyne goal. And PSG, I mean, uh, I think they, they did really well uh, in the first half, like you said, Hugh. I mean, Marquinhos is always scoring those header goals. I don't know why no one's paying attention to that. But after that, I know Eric wrote it in our chat, talk about Ruben Diaz, John Stones. Both of them were phenomenal. They were intercepting balls. They, I mean, it's not easy to contain Mbappe and Neymar. And Di Maria was on fire. So he was kind of like being the playmaker and putting through balls. But, uh, you know, Walker, my goodness. I actually thought he was going to have a difficult game, but he was phenomenal. He was doing great. He contained Mbappe in a couple of chances. Organization-wise, like I said, Pochettino tried to do his uh, strategy where it's breakaway plays, right? Finding ways to find Mbappe and, and having Neymar or Di Maria on the ball so they can attack on the sides. And, and I think they, they could have scored two on the first half. But they missed it. I think uh, it was uh, either an Mbappe cross and Verratti was close to uh, pushing that goal in. That 2-0 could have been way difficult for Man City to climb up. So that's, that's, that's soccer for you, man. You have to be in this stage. You have to make sure you're finishing that. And I think that's something we're always missing from Neymar. You know, he's always either, he's drilling through defense, but he's always hitting the post or the ball is going straight to the goalie. And you have to finish those if you want to be a Champions League winner. Can they beat Man City next week? Uh, yes, they can. They have a lot of skills. They have a lot of players who can do that. But the way City can play defensively and the way they have possession, I find it really difficult for them to score two, three goals uh, in, in England. So I, uh, look, I think Guardiola could have done a much better job preparing for this game because he did say that he was very focused on Neymar and Mbappe. But, uh, you know, this these are the semifinals. And as long as you have leaders like Kevin De Bruyne, Kyle Walker, you have uh, Ruben Diaz who look like a leader in the back line. I, I, I mean, I think they look stacked. And, and Phil Foden, I think he's going to have a better game this time around. So, yeah, definitely seeing City through. I mean, I'm surprised no one mentioned the one crazy stat that uh, Mbappe didn't have one single shot on goal the entire game. That was probably the, the biggest shocker for me. But I really do think this game was actually won in the midfield. Yeah, like Christian just said, got to give props to uh, Gunduan, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, the back four as well. And just kind of going back to what you guys were saying in the beginning, Pep Guardiola, the one thing he does well is adapts. You know, he, in his mind, he's, he must be like a ticking machine, a ticking computer on how to, how to adapt to his opponent. I think he did that really well in the second half. I mean, this is going to be a heck of a second leg. But to me, my biggest takeaway was like what you said on Neymar just kind of being inefficient in a way. And then also, in a way, also Mbappe just kind of disappearing. But I think that kind of goes back to, to uh, Man City's back four. Also, one of my players of the games, uh, again, Keylor Navas. I think this without Keylor, uh, again, a totally different game because Keylor, Keylor is a heck of a goalie. And Cristian, your boy, uh, Danielito, I mean, again, called it last episode on, you know, just how good of a goalie he is. But we'll definitely be staying tuned for this second leg, uh, this upcoming Tuesday, Wednesday for these two games. We shall be back for episode 24 on those two. And all right, fellas, yeah, we got to get to our special guest, Jim Curtin, the MLS 2020 head coach of the year the head coach of the Philadelphia Union, great guy. Oh man, can't wait to pick his brain on just tactics on, on the Supporter Shield season last season. Yeah, Christian's got a bunch of questions for him. So super excited for this upcoming interview. And uh, yeah, Jim Curtin's coming up next. Let's go.
All right, soccer fans, we have a big guest joining the show today. He is a former American soccer player who's played for the Chicago Fire and formerly Chivas USA. He's a former MLS All-Star and Defender of the Year back in 2004. We know him as the head coach of the Philadelphia Union and the MLS 2020 Coach of the Year. It's a true pleasure to have him on the show. So please give a warm welcome to Mr. Jim Curtin. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Great to be on with you. And uh, yeah, you made me sound better than I am in that intro. (laughs) Hey, we always try to have a good intro for our guests. Thank you so much, Coach. Really appreciate you having on the show. And Coach, just to quickly get started, uh, you know, how are you? We hope you had a great relaxing offseason. First things first, a huge congratulations on the Supporter Shield this past season. And of course, for advancing into the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals. Just want to ask you, how are you and how was preseason for you? Yeah, it was great. You know, look, all, every preseason presents uh, unique challenges, certainly in uh, times of COVID. It, it, it even uh, delayed the offseason a little bit longer than we were all used to. So we had to, like everybody in the world, adapt and adjust to things. But overall, the players uh, did a good job taking care of themselves in the, in the offseason. Um, you know, I thought we had a good preparation, you know, with all focus being on, uh, like you mentioned, the achievement of reaching our first Champions League uh, after the Supporter Shield victory. Um, so yeah, it was the full focus was on Saprissa and, and going down to Costa Rica and getting a result on the road. Uh, preparation was unique because you didn't know if there'd be fans in that stadium, which is, I can tell you from my playing days, very, very, very intimidating and a hard place to go uh, in a club that has great history and tradition. Um, but we went there, kept a clean sheet, which was most important, um, set ourselves up very well for the second leg uh, after our first half where I was actually happy with how we performed. You know, we, we kind of unlocked them in the second half of the game uh, and, and got some final passes right and were able to come out on top. And that sets up for a, uh, a very tough opponent in, in Atlanta in the Champions League, but we're happy to move on. Uh, and then we look forward to now uh, getting recovered uh, quickly and, and turning around and playing the MLS Cup champions uh, Columbus on Sunday. So no easy, no easy break for us or, or no time to really pat ourselves on the back. Uh, the games are going to be coming fast and furious this season, which we're excited by. Uh, and MLS continues to get better and soccer continues to grow in the United States, which has been awesome to watch. 100% coach. I mean, I know our focus right now is definitely getting beginning of the MLS season. And like you said, uh, you know, these opponents in the CONCACAF Champions League are definitely not easy. So, you know, a big congratulations there. And coach, I think that sets us up for our next question. Just a few months ago, we had uh, Marissa Pila on with us. She's a reporter for CBS in in Philadelphia. And we're just going to quote her just saying like, you know, uh, something special is happening in, in Philadelphia with the soccer culture, soccer in general growing in the league and in the U.S. And she really has some nice words to say about you, how you're the right man for the job. I just wanted to ask you, you know, from all of us, you know, since you took on in 2014, um, what can you say on just the growth of soccer in, in Philadelphia and uh, just what you've seen from the fans and the growth of the, of the fan base? Yeah, look, um, the soccer world is small, so I, I've had the, the privilege of, of working with Marissa uh, for, for several years. She's, she's great, um, and she really knows the game well, and she continues to grow the game, uh, especially now on the women's side, um, and does an amazing job. So, you know, look, you, you, you look at our league, um, and you see the strides that it takes with the, the soccer-specific stadiums that are now coming, uh, the, the atmospheres in the, in the, in the stands. Um, when I walk around my neighborhood in, in Philadelphia and in Queen Village, and, and, and kids are not just wearing – Cristiano Ronaldo jerseys or, or Lionel Messi jerseys, but they now have Alejandro Bedoya and Andre Blake jerseys on that. that that's when you know that um, we're making progress. Are we perfect yet? No, we still have a long way to go and, and a, a long way to continue to grow the game. Um, but there's something to be said when the kids are, are starting to, to play it uh, more than just more than just playing FIFA <laughs> on the video games. And they're actually watching the five and six games that are on on a Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, the growth of the game, I have to say, guys, it's grown more in my lifetime than I actually thought it would. I have to say that. Um, and, and it's only going to get bigger and bigger. And the opportunities to have young American players now um, representing uh, not only the MLS or the United States national team, but now playing at top clubs in Europe is something that uh, is, is a big next step for us. I think ultimately uh, people will call me crazy, but uh, I think our league, MLS, because of the ambition, ambitions of the owners and the talent that is here, um, and the infrastructure that is here, I think MLS will push over the next 20 years to become a, a top four league in the world. And, and that's coming. Uh, people maybe will disagree in, in different parts of the world, but that's what's going to happen. I, I can uh, I promise you that with the people that are involved in the game here. So 
I'm excited for the future of soccer here. Uh, I'm a small part of it here in Philadelphia, but to your point, when you look around and you see the, the kids that are out in the park now, uh, less and less playing baseball, maybe uh, being, being scared of football and the concussions, uh, they're really embracing soccer and it, it's a beautiful game and it continues to grow in this country. 100% coach. We only know it's a matter of time until uh, right. you know, soccer starts taking over. My first question here is a little bit more about the the more traditional side of American soccer, but it is now becoming one of the the things that a lot of people we've talked to have said they really actually enjoy about the program, sort of the the college system into the super draft. And I know you yourself came up through that system in, in your playing days. And so my question was in line with the idea of making sure you you develop the league into one of the best in the world. How do you specifically approach the sort of college player program with some of the academy players having to leave for a couple of years to play for those teams. And then also when you maybe not getting back, I mean, when, when you're, when you're taking the players back, you're maybe not getting back your academy players, but you're getting developed players who played a couple extra years in college before going pro. Yeah, look, that's a, it's a great comment. And it's a great point on development in the United States. Um, I think before you even talk about the academy or college or the pros, you have to even step back to the grassroots of it when they're, four and five and six years old, and they're just starting to fall in love with the game because that's what's most important. I mean, too much now I have parents come up to me and say, what, what does it take for my kid to be uh, a professional? And I point to them, I said, your kid's four, just let them be a kid, let them have fun. You know, it, it'll take care of itself. Um, the system is set up in a way that, um, you know, look, do we miss the top players every once in a while? Yes, but eventually they'll pop if they continue to, to play uh, at a high level. Um, so with development now, the college game is still really important. Um, you know, look, less and less, though, college players uh, are, are start, becoming starters in our league. Um, it's going a little bit more the, the direction that you see in Europe uh, or, or South America, where now the youth academies develop the kids. Um, they're turning pro at, at 15, 16, 17 years old rather than at 22, 23 years old, um, just because they get that much more time in development. There's still going to be amazing college players. And you see that every year, you know, our rookie of the year uh, usually, you know, comes out of college and, and is a great college player. So um, I went the, the college route. That is one way to do it. Uh, the cool thing about the game now is there's no one right way to, to go through this process. You know, for some kids, they need those four years on their own, away from their parents at a university under a great coach in the right environment um, to take their game to another level. For others, like uh, Brendan Aronson, maybe college wasn't what was best for him. He was ready to go uh, right away. I threw him into the fire in front of 60,000 people in Atlanta, and he stepped up, and now the rest is kind of history, and he gets sold for you know, $8 million to Europe and, and is, is dominating over there. So I think you have to take each player and each child as an individual case um, and, and not say that there's only one way to do things. I get upset when people say, uh, the college game doesn't work because they only are allowed to play three or four months out of a season. You know, look, in this country, we have such good infrastructure set up with our universities and the facilities that they have and the good coaches. You know, th there's a lot of great resources and, and ways to do it. Uh, and then the, the bottom line, though, guys, and my, my number one point is the, the coaching in this country still has a long way to go, but it's it gotten exponentially better. So when I was in the grassroots age that you talk about, that four or five, six years old, I was taught by my father. My father was an American football player. Uh, his, my head coaches and all growing up, that's what he was that. And he was teaching us essentially football drills, you know, cause that was all he knew. Um, and in coordination for, for American football while we were playing soccer and I love my dad and he was doing the best he could, but, but now those youth teams are being taught by, you know, ex college players or ex professionals or, or whatever it is. And the knowledge and, and you're seeing the kids, at 12 years old now, the things that they're doing with the ball, I didn't learn until I was 30, you know, so they're just so, so far ahead of us um, in that time. And, and it has to come down to coaches education, because at the end of the day, coaches are, are, are the ones that are driving this. We're just teachers. That's all we are. Um, and, and you find the special players, you give them some information and you, you try to create an environment and get the heck out of the way and let their talent take over, because there's a lot of talent here in the States. You know, I know you said that there's no concrete answer to the college question, but I, I'm pretty sure you just gave me the closest thing I'm ever going to get to an answer to that question. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> well, the, the biggest thing, is, if you really want to get into it, the NCAA is, is too archaic in their thinking. Um, and they think it's just a, a football and basketball entity because that's who makes them the most money. Let's be honest. And I understand that. But if you take the training wheels off and you let those college coaches use the amazing facilities and the teams that they've built, 
for 12 months out of the year, common sense. If kids want to get better, they should be able to play as long as they want, not restricted because football does it a certain way where they have a hundred and some kids on their team and they monitor it a totally different way. So that was my challenge. When I went to Villanova and helped out as a volunteer, there'd be kids that would want to get better and they'd come to you and they'd say, coach, I want to do more. And then I'd go to the head coach and he'd say, we can't, we're over our hours for the week in this spring season. And you're kind of going, this is, this isn't development. This isn't, this isn't good. So hopefully, you know, the NCAA, I know they're working hard to change that, but like anything, it, it takes a little bit of time, I guess. And that is some great insight, Coach Curran. Um, I wanted to look back a little bit on the time where you took the position as intern manager. Six, seven years later, Philadelphia Union is one of the best teams in the league. And at the beginning of your coaching career, you said you had a lot to learn. When we talk about creating, building an identity, team management, playing style, what can you tell us about the evolution of uh, Jim Curran as head coach of the Philadelphia Union? Yeah, the, the first and first and foremost, the thing you need is belief in your ownership uh, that you're going to get the time to do it because there's incredible coaches, some far superior to me that had great ideas, but they lost five or six games in a row. And that was the end of it. And the dream was over, you know, and then they maybe never get a chance again. That's how cutthroat professional sports can be. So first and foremost, this was a project that I was fortunate enough to see from um, the academy level, quite literally working with kids five and six years old through 18 boys and girls. I learned a ton during that time. So I saw the club from that level. Um, I became the assistant coach, like you mentioned. Uh, I came into the job in a way that nobody wants to come into the job. Uh, John Hackworth lost his job, you know, and that was hard. But I also, when they pulled me into the room and said, do you want to take over this thing? I wasn't going to say no, you know, as a kid from Philadelphia, I, I, you know, uh, I, I can tell you right now and be honest, I wasn't ready at all. Nothing can really prepare you for this job until you're in it and you experience different things. I, I compare it to, uh, you know, an astronaut's first trip to outer space. Yes, you can do all this stuff down here on the old, uh, in the USA and then at the, 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 the flight simulations in Florida, but when you're up on the moon, it's going to feel a lot different and you can't, you literally can't prepare until you go through it. It's the same exact thing. So things like dealing with uh, press conferences and what you say to your players in certain moments, um, watching each word you say, how do you, you know, tap certain guys on the back and, and pick them up and then some need a, a kick in the butt and maybe you, you respond differently to them. So over time, you know, time is the one thing you'll, you'll hear me say, uh, a lot. Uh, you need time to, to build a culture because culture is what gets thrown around very loosely these days in every company. You know, everybody talks about how great their culture is, but you don't learn what your culture is until you have adversity. And when you lose games, what does it look like? Do people stick together or do they run off into the corners and start pointing fingers and blaming? I think we've all experienced it in every line of work, you know, whatever profession you're in. So real culture is, is, is what you do with your actions when, when things are, are difficult. And, uh, Uh, we were able to get through some tough times together, um, but that's made the journey that much more fun. And then the success and sharing in that with everybody. So many people from the academy that have worked so hard to, to get this club where it's at. Great ownership, great players, and, and a great staff. So um, a lot of people um, that ultimately um, make the head coach look good. <laughs> you know, So the relationships that you're able to form and, and delegate certain things and empower people, all of that adds to the culture and getting the best out of your group. And one of the things that I wanted to touch on is, is, is actually that, trusting the process. Coach Greg Berhalter has mentioned that, uh, well, he praises your work, and he mentioned that you're a great human being, and one of the things that you do great is that you're so patient with your players. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest examples was well, Mark McKenzie when in the 2018 season, everybody was expecting him to have a breakout year. Yeah. And It was difficult for him to start, and he also had some other personal problems. But, you know, I wanted to ask you, as a coach, how do you help your players improve during these difficult times? And how do you um, express or present to them that you still believe in them? Yeah, it's, a, it's probably the hardest thing. So, uh, look, in, in, in pro soccer, players one through 11, they love their coach. Every one of them loves you. They're happy. Um, the hardest thing is, is player 12 through 28, keeping them going so that when their number's called, They're ready to go. It's the most challenging thing possible. You know, again, you can do things like show them film of things that they can work on and improve on. Uh, they, you can show them the, the things that they do really well. You can show them the things that, you know, you'll want more from them. Um, with Mark specifically, you know, he had 
a lot of highs and lows. I can remember the first game I threw him into, he, he had to deal with, I, I believe it was David Villa, you know? So again, like, you know, you, you have an academy kid that I've worked with for, and I've seen play since he's eight and nine years old from Delaware. And, and you're throwing him into a game versus one of the best strikers, not just, you know, in our league, but of all time in the history of this game, you know, and, and how does he adapt and adjust to that? And Mark had a way of raising his level um, with all good young defenders though, because the attackers are so dangerous, you're going to have games where you give up goals and you concede them. And I think with Mark, sometimes he would be, you know, he was so hard on himself and he, and he wanted to get better so, so much. And he wanted to be in Europe so, so badly that he didn't have that short-term memory that sometimes you need as a defender. Cause the next, the next play is the most important play, because if you think about the last one, you make another mistake and then you're chasing it. And that happened for Mark a couple of times during his development. Um, where I did bench him and it's hard man because I've been benched as a center back and it's a position where center backs don't usually get subbed in the course of the 90 minutes you know what I mean so it's not like you can get your rhythm by you know going into a game at the last 20 minutes because most coaches when you're having success don't change their center back so it's a weird position in that regard almost like goalkeeper where unless you're the starter it's, it's tough to get your rhythm back um, and, and Mark to his credit spent a ton of time in that weight room. He spent a ton of time in that film room. Uh, and people wanted to, there to be some easy, you know, one answer that I could give that'll say, this will guarantee you, you to be a professional. But um, it, it starts with, with, I think, you know, first and foremost, where you come from with your family, your mom and dad, you know, they're the ones that really developed Mark McKenzie. So he had a, a mentality that as a coach was a dream to work with because he always wanted to get better. Uh, he could still get mad at me and we could disagree on things, but he always wanted to get better. And that's the reason why now he is uh, doing what he's doing, playing in, in, in hopefully Champions League next year uh, and, and being a, a big contributor to, to a very strong team in Europe. So great player to work with. It brings a smile on my face to bring him up again. We miss him, by the way, a, a ton here in Philly. Um, but, you know, he sent the text last night, you know, about the Champions League and our success. So we're still uh, in, in contact and in touch and, and he feels ownership to what uh, this badge has, has done for him. And, and he's really following us now as we make a run in the Champions League. And uh, hey, coach, my, my next question was really just on, you know, this past season transitioning onto this season. Mm -hmm. um, I know ultimately, you know, you guys had the best record in the MLS uh, with the Supporter Shield and now. Uh, focusing on this season. Um, I just wanted to ask you, what are some things that you guys are looking to improve on for this upcoming season? I know after last season falling to the New England Revolution and the playoffs, uh, and all, and as always, you know, every team always has revolving players in the roster. So just what are some things that you were focusing on in this preseason, especially with, you know, with having the best record last season? Yeah, for sure. Look, our, our goal is, is not a unique one. We want to win MLS Cup. So, you know, at the start of every season, every team has that dream, you know, probably... 10 have a real chance to do it. The others are just talking about it. <laughs> we hope <laughs> and we think that we're one of those top 10 teams, um, but that can change quickly in MLS. Cause like you said, there's turnover with your roster, there's changes, there's new players in. Sometimes it takes a year to get acclimated. Sometimes um, some players just click right away. So we'll have a, a real grind of a season here, but I, I do like um, the way that this group is shaking out uh, a really good blend of young uh, and experienced players. Um, if we stay healthy, you know, with the, with the back four and, and uh, Jose Martinez in front of that back four and, and Andre Blake in goal, I can say we'll be in every game, you know, uh, and then it comes down to the small margins and, and executing in front of goal. So, you know, look, our goal is always to, to win an MLS Cup. Obviously, there was disappointment as great as our season was in lifting the first trophy with the Supporters Shield. Uh, we, were, we were disappointed when the season ended uh, against New England because we felt New England uh, was a team that we, we – did really well against all year, but when it mattered most, um, they didn't get our best. Uh, so that always hurts. So uh, that's our motivation in the off season. Uh, we want to improve there. Um, more specifically, I think we want to improve on defending and attacking um, set pieces. That's something that I think we can improve on. Um, we scored a good goal off of a, a corner last night, but conversely, we weren't great defensively on corners. We gave up a couple of free headers. So still things you can always tighten up and improve, but if you're talking about an area of, it wasn't a weakness of ours, but it's one that I think we can ramp up and, and do better, right? We were number one in goals against last year. We scored enough goals and we're in the top four, but now can we add some goals on, on restarts? Not to say that they're easy opportunities, but they're at least, you know, set plays where uh, if you're maximizing your opportunity, we can, we can score more goals there and, and defend them too. And sort of 
dealing with the idea of of building the the structure and the mentality from last season moving on to this season i i know in a recent interview you said with the union there's no one specific superstar the team as a whole is the superstar i believe if i'm quoting you correctly um and and so i just sort of have a question as what is it like to build a mentality like that i know you know a lot of coaches really want to be able to do that and from what everyone can see you've been able to do that so what is sort of the the way of pushing to all the players and 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 then conversely maybe to the fans that it's the team it's not a set of individuals and how does that really work yeah look i i think in some ways i like to talk about other sports and you you think of the the storied franchises that maybe don't have the most talent but find ways to to win championships so the obvious one in, in uh, soccer was Leicester City, the run that they went on, right? They had to be doing something right. Sure, they had Jamie Vardy and they had good talent, but you could tell that team was fully committed. Every guy was part of it. Um, you could go San Antonio Spurs in basketball where, you know, maybe it's not as flashy or as, as sexy as the other teams. They don't have the big names. They have a, a quiet kind of lead by example star in Tim Duncan, but the, the system is kind of set up no matter who's in or who's out. Um, they, the Spurs look the same for about a good 10, 15 year period. I hate the New England Patriots, but I have to say, you know, they were over the years consistently. They just did it their way. Um, and you could argue, you know, other teams had more talent, but, you know, talent only gets you so far in, in professional sports. Um, if, if you're not together and you think you can do things as an individual, um, it, it has a way of humbling you very, very quickly. Uh, I have to say you need your top players to have the buy-in to that. So I'm sure Tim Duncan bought in, Tom Brady bought in, um, at least till recently when he went to Tampa. But, uh, uh, you know, with us, it's Ali Bedoya. He's kind of the glue that keeps our group together. I'd say him and Andre Blake right now are the two that they've been with the club for a long time. They've seen, you know, that, that this is a way that they can have success as well and get the individual accolades that they deserve. Um, if they do help these young kids go through. So you need that buy-in from them. They're kind of my voice in the locker room. Uh, you need that with the young team. Uh, but overall, uh, it starts with good players, and we have that here, and I have a great staff as well that kind of uh, keeps everything going. So I, I can't take credit for that. Um, again, just surrounding yourself with good people uh, is, is really the key there. My One of the questions that I wanted to bring up, um, I, I'm a Red Bulls fan, and in 2010, uh, your team, you and your team broke my heart um, <laughs> in the U.S. Open Cup. You um, were down 2-0 in a halftime, and things looked difficult for the team. Kind of, kind of like a coaching question I wanted to ask you is, what do you do to kind of reverse that? and win the game like the way you did in such a, a short period of time, which is 15 minutes. Uh, how do you do that? How do you deal with uh, those type of moments? Yeah, that was a unique game, if I remember correctly. I think it had a, like an afternoon kickoff. Uh, Connor Casey got a red card. It was, it was a crazy one. Um, but, yeah, we, you're right. We went down a man. You know, Red Bull's a big rival, and, you know, you guys don't like us, and, and we don't like you very much. But, you know, we had uh, – all joking aside, there's so many uh, coaches there that, that I'm very close with and they're former teammates from my Chicago days. So I think the rivalry is uh, sometimes a little, yeah, it's between the fans more, more so than uh, maybe the staffs, but it's always a heated game when we play Red Bull. Um, it's an important game, uh, but that was a unique one for sure. Look, no coach is prepared and, and, and wants to go down a man in adverse conditions. That was a hot day too. So we were hanging on. Red Bull was coming at us. That was the Sasha Kleschen and Bradley Wright Phillips and Dax McCarty days where it was relentless. They were coming at us over and over. I think uh, we made some big saves. Our goalkeeper stepped up. And then did we steal that in penalty kicks, right? Is that, is that how it ended? Or no, was it? A, which game are you talking about? The, because there was we beat you guys twice there in some crazy games. <laughs> you, you did beat us a couple times. It was that El Cino came in. Uh, okay. they, yeah, he assisted, then he scored, and then the last goal was a, a penalty. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was uh, heartbreaking. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I don't know. There were so many wild games. I didn't know which one you were talking about. There's been some some tough ones with Red Bull where they've come out on top, and there's been somewhere we've had them. But they're always memorable, that's for sure. There's usually red cards involved. There's, there's back-and-forth games, crazy score lines. Um, but, yeah. Man, there's a lot of good ones to go through. <laughs>
<laughs> no, I love it. And that's w- one of the, the things that I admire is that you always seem very patient, even in the difficult moments. Uh, and I think that's so important as a coach because um, you exhibit that to your players and they're able to trust you and they're able to kind of like overcome those type of situations. So uh, I yeah. definitely... It's been my experience that if, if whatever your demeanor is on the sidelines and you don't get me wrong, you can still celebrate goals and be passionate. That That's great for the game. But if now I'm, I'm on the sidelines and I'm, I'm cursing and yelling and screaming and throwing my arms at every referee call, you know, that, that sends a bad message to your players and, and they will do the same. Uh, and then they kind of lose track of what they're supposed to be doing. So um, yeah, you try to stay calm on the sidelines. I do have more of a temper maybe than people get to see publicly. I maybe save it for halftime. <laughs> uh, well, coach, uh, I think just one of the last questions, and this is for one of our members who couldn't make it. We know, obviously, you were a player transitioning to a coach, um, and we see that a lot in, in, in a lot of technical staffs. But, uh, you know, as a player to coach, uh, what were some of the head coaches that you looked up to? Um, obviously, you being a head coach now, uh, who were some of the coaches that you looked up to and um, maybe molded your game around back when you were a player transitioning to a coach? Yeah, so that's a good question. So um, look, I think we all have role models that we look up to. I learned I learned the most in my life and, and I apply the most coaching wise from the lessons I learned from my dad. I, I still think that that's kind of been my um, biggest influence, um, but it's specific to, to soccer, I had Larry Sullivan, who was a great coach and mentor of mine at Villanova University, where I played. Um, when I became a, a coach, you know, in the academy, Ian Monroe, who um, worked at YSC Academy, is a former uh, player for Scotland's national team, coached in the, in, in the Scottish League. Um, he gave me a ton of knowledge and prepared me uh, very well for, for my future job. If you now talk about you know, I, I played for Bob Bradley as well, who kind of taught me at a very young age to think like a you know, like a coach um, and see the game like a coach and challenge each other uh, in training sessions, you know, and to, to do more uh, like a coach would. Um, it's no coincidence. I've said this a thousand times. I'm probably sick of you. People are probably sick of me saying it. But if you go back and look at our 2001 through 2003 team, I think there's 18 guys that are now head coaches or assistant coaches in Major League Soccer. So, the culture he created was a good one because we're all uh, head coaches now and, and doing doing good. So he was a great one um, on the world stage. You know, look, I've become actually more of a fan of coaches rather than specific teams. So um, I, I really like uh, Marco Rose, who who's uh, you know from the Red Bull uh, system, uh, has now moved on. Uh, will be at Dortmund next year uh, after the good job he did at Gladbach. Jesse Marsh is a friend of mine, so I obviously watch his coaching. Uh, quite closely. He's an amazing coach, does incredible things uh, to see him work. I went to, to Salzburg last year and was able to see him work for a week. And uh, he's a friend, but also I can say uh, one of the best coaches I've, I've seen work. Uh, his results speak for themselves. Pochettino, I've never seen gotten to meet or talk with, but I, I like how his team's played at Tottenham. Uh, I like what he's doing at PSG. It's kind of a blend of, of both possession and also some pressing um, so there's little things you can take from every coach, um, but those are some of my favorites off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, 100% coach. I know and on our show that we've had, we've had a lot of players that become coaches like Marcelo Balboa, who's yeah. U14 of Colorado Rapids. And we had on uh, Mr. Todd Ramos and Oscar Pareja. Yeah, and uh, they've been amazing. Guys. And we love to just pick their brain on that. Yeah. Uh, and just to quote uh, Marissa Pila one last time, there's There's something special going on in Philadelphia, and we can't thank you enough for your time, Coach. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Great questions, and that was fun. Love to come back on anytime you guys would like to have Thank you. Yeah, we'll try and get you on for next season. Thank you so much, Coach. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great one. Good luck with everything, all right? Bye. All right, guys. That was the interview with Coach Jim Curtin. Christian, got to go to you, man. What you what you think? I know he was probably one of your favorite interviews you've had. Oh, man. MLS Manager of the Year. Are you crazy? That's that, that was such a such an insane interview. I definitely like the fact that he talked about a lot of things. I already posted a video. Of course, you you had a great question uh, on the at the college level. But I also like the fact that he talked about having the you know, just being comfortable benching players where they're not performing. And you have to do that at the pro level. You know, you have to show up. Uh, so Neymar, take a take a listen to our podcast and maybe you show up uh, next Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, fellas. Well, before we start going, uh, we want to thank our boy Sid for being on with us. Uh, Sid, just say peace out, and we hope to have you back on again. Uh, say peace out to the fans real quick. Thank you, fellas. Um, it was great being here. Yeah, yeah. 
it was it was great. Thanks for talking Champions League with us. Thanks for talking uh, Super League with us. Uh, we'll definitely be having you back on with us, man, for sure. And uh, Eric, man, started off. We got to get out of here. Say peace out. Oh man, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, you know, I really love the, the show. You know, I know I'm 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 not the favorite. You know, I'm I say a lot of controversial stuff, but you know. If you ever want to chat, you know, you know where to find us on, on social media. That's a perfect segue to my shtick. If you do want to find us on social media and you don't know where to find us on social media, make sure to check us out on at Soccer Subs Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. We have a YouTube channel as well where we post our interviews and our sort of uncut stuff there. Give us a look there. If you like the content we're producing, you'll like the content we produce everywhere else. And as I always say, make sure to follow Christian because he leaks stuff from the interviews and episodes before we even post it as a preview. Uh, yeah. So make sure to check us out there. If you like this content, you'll like that. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, guys. And, you know, it's great. 23 episodes. We're, we're, we're doing something right. So, Oh, man, 23 episodes. That's right. It's insane. So I just want to say thank you, Sid. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you, Ronnie, for being the controller of this conversation. And thank you to all the fans. Uh, well, we'll see you next week. And all right, fellas, just to, just to end it off, thank you guys for the great episode. We'll definitely be back on uh, seeing how our predictions turn out for uh, Champions League. We'll see how uh, Eric's uh, stats go for that, as, as well as all of ours. Do we get the battle of the balls? What, what do we get for the Champions League final? We'll be back for episode 24 with another, I'm, I'm not want to give it away, but another coach. You know, we'll, uh, we'll post that one later on. We'll let, we'll let Christian do the honors of, of doing the preview. But uh, nah, good stuff coming up ahead on the Soccer Subs podcast give us a follow on soccer sauce podcast and thank you to all the fans for the support we are out we'll see you guys in two weeks have a good one